Hey everybody, this is Sophie and welcome to Five Questions, which is a special bonus series of the Big Boo Cast. This is actually the fifth installment of this series and Melanie and I have had the best time talking to different friends who are connected in some way to the writing side of our lives. Today is no exception because we are talking with our literary agent, Lisa Jackson. Lisa is actually the person who signed both of us to our first book. She was an acquisitions editor at Tyndale House. And for the last several years, she has been our literary agent, which means she is the person who really keeps us sane during the process of proposing and writing books. We love her so much, and we're so excited for you to hear her today as we talk about all kinds of things related to the writing life. So we hope you enjoy this fifth episode of Five Questions. Hey, everybody. This is Sophie. This is Big Mama. Hey, it's Melanie. It's Big Mama. And it's Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi. (laughs) We're so happy to talk to you in this context because we've both been talking to you in different contexts for how long, Melanie? How many years? Oh, gosh. 10 years. Is that right? 10? Yeah, 10 years. 2011 was sparkly green earrings. So 10 years. That's crazy. That is crazy. crazy. Look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. And if people don't know, Lisa was actually the acquisitions editor for Melanie's first book and for my first book. So is that what she called you then? Were you an acquisitions editor? That's right. That's right. I don't, I still don't know all the lingo, Lisa. I still, I'm not sure. <laughs> After 10 years. So, yeah. Well, and then you know us. Yeah. Uh huh. And so then you transitioned how many years ago into being a literary agent? Yeah. I came out here for this job um, in 2014. Okay. So, wow. okay. Yeah, a long time, seven years. Golly. Wow, that's hard to believe. It really is. I know. So, we're going to ask Lisa five questions because she's, living a life that's on the other side of publishing, um, which is a really interesting side to sit on, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think to be on both sides of the fence. So when you, I talk, you talk to a bunch of different publishers when you're trying to decide or get a book published. And when I talked to you, Lisa, the first time, part of what won me over is that you'd been doing it forever. Um, and that you had read my blog, which I'm so glad I didn't know at the time that acquisitions <laughs> editor from Tyndale was reading my blog, or I would have been a lot more nervous and all my articles would have started like from the dawn of time. That's, that's right. Search <laughs> for significance. Yes. So I wouldn't have been the idiot that I was, um, but that you were familiar with me. And I think that's, you bring so much experience and you've been in the publishing industry for your entire career and you've been everything from a reporter to an editor to a literary agent. So what aspects of the job from, from the dawn of time of mm-hmm. your career are your favorite? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and that is true. I was, re- I was literally reading your blog just for fun. Um, and when I saw a proposal come through, I thought, wait, this name, wait. Um, so that was really fun to think. And that was back at a time when blogging was fairly new 
and yes. transitioning into books. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I think to answer your question, my favorite part of the job is helping people kind of find the book. And so mm, yeah. for you, both of you actually, as you were just doing your thing, you were just blogging and writing and talking to your people and sharing your life. And there was a book in there somewhere, you know? Uh -huh. And so it was helping you think through, well, what is the book? How do I transition from what I'm already doing to a 225 page book? Yeah. Um, I really love, Sophie knows this. I really love if people will send me kind of their, here's my thoughts. Yes. I don't think there's anything here. <laughs> yes. yes. And saying, oh, yes, there. I'm, I love helping connect the dots mm -hmm. and find the thread and say, there really is a theme here. Look, look how all these things connect. Yeah. I, listen, you're so good at it. And I will never forget two things about my first book. Um, one was after I'd signed the contract with Tyndale and, and we had proposed that book under a different, with a different title. And I sent you an email and I said, Hey, here's the title. I just can't shake. It's called a little salty to cut this sweet. And you wrote me back immediately and you were like, absolutely. That's it. Like you knew it was it too, mm -hmm. which was mm -hmm. such validation for me as somebody who had, was, had said she was never going to write a book. And, and <laughs> then, uh, the second thing was as I was writing a little salty and we were kind of going through that process and I kept saying, I don't, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Is this a book? I'm not sure what it is. And I will never forget getting to the end of that thing and looking back and thinking, well, dadgummit, Lisa was right. Like there, there, there was a thread, like a thread did emerge, but you taught me to trust that, that a thread uh -huh. would emerge if you would just continue to sit down and write the stuff that was in your head and on your heart. So yep. I yeah. think that a, a lot of authors are creatives. And so these big ideas kind of float around in their head all the time and, and getting it down on paper is a challenge enough, let alone trying to figure out some structure and format and chapter order mm -hmm. and all yes. of that but I'm not the creative I, you know, I love finding the structure and the order and the the, the chapters and the titles and all that so yeah, yeah that really is my favorite part and you know helping authors recognize how valuable their content really is especially right now in a time when we put so much out on the internet mm -hmm. for free um you know, your content is so valuable. And so protecting it, stewarding it well, figuring out how best to put it out there so that it reaches the right people and also accomplishes your goals. And I, I just love that part. Well, and you're so good at like, I feel like you've taught me to trust my, like you've trusted my instincts and you've taught me to trust my instincts, which is so invaluable. And I never will forget like kind of my moment is, um, with Tyndale and it was my third book, which ended up being nobody's cuter, but originally it was going to be something else, which I don't even remember. And I just couldn't get started. And you said to me, we showed Sophie and I were actually in Chicago and you were like, I don't think this is the book that you want to write right now. And you I were remember like, that. And you were like, I don't, you're not excited about it. And so you said, why don't you just write the book on friendship? And I was like, Oh, okay. I'll write, what, what a revelation. I'll just write the book on friendship, which is, you know, as you, you know, nobody's cuter has been my most successful book in terms of sales and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, that was the right call. And that book 
was the one for all of mine that probably I wrote with the least amount of effort because Mm -hmm. it's what I wanted to write. So, and I'll never forget you saying, well, I really want to write this book about something that Gully and I always say, and Lisa going, well, then you should write it. Yeah, you should write it, but maybe don't call it chicken in the bed, which I think was my initial title. <laughs> no, Mama Tried was one of your titles too. That was, that, sparkly that, that was Sparkly Green Earrings. Sparkly Green okay. Earrings. I loved Mama Tried and they were like, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> and then Lisa actually came up with Sparkly Green Earrings. That was your title. And then we, but then the, uh, the Nobody's Cuter, that was originally, because Gully and I always say on a bad day, we're like, it's just a day for chicken in the bed. And Lisa was like, I like it, but I don't think people really understand it. Which was also a good call. Sure. See, there's a fine line between trusting your instincts and telling you, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. That's probably not going to, it doesn't have bestseller written all over it. Like nobody's wanting to know about chicken in the bed. Hey y'all, today's show is sponsored exclusively by our favorite British streaming service, Acorn TV. And we invite y'all to support Acorn TV because their support allows us to keep the big boo cast free for y'all. Here is why we love them. Acorn TV is a commercial free streaming service that's rooted in British television. It has such a rich catalog of award-winning series across genres including mysteries, dramas, comedies, and so much more. There really is a show for everyone. A new one that I have my eye on is My Life is Murder. It's called A Fun Watch by Decider and stars Lucy Lawless. Remember Xena, Warrior Princess? She was also on Parks and Rec. She stars in this contemporary detective drama as retired cop Alexa Crow. Fearless and playful, she acts on instinct, both avenging angel and a bit of a pot stir. Deeply empathetic and blunt to the point of rudeness and with a deeply irreverent sense of humor, which is my personal favorite kind of humor. Other than the fact her husband died a few years ago, very few people know much about Alexa or why she left the force, rendering this woman a mystery in and of herself. And Alexa can't resist a mystery, so when former colleagues and longtime friend Detective Inspector Kieran Hussey ask her to consult on his cases, she seems reluctant, but in truth, she can't resist. This sounds like such a good show. And you get thousands of hours of new, refreshing content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. I get it through my Roku stick, but you can get it through Amazon Prime, which is how I used to watch in my pre-Roku days when I still had cable. From all of us at Big Boo Cast, thanks to Acorn TV for sponsoring today's Big Boo Cast. It's sponsors like Acorn TV that make what we do possible, and we're so appreciative. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days. I know you'll love it by going to acorn.tv and use our code BIGBOO. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV code BIGBOO to get your first 30 days for free. So I feel like people probably want to know because a lot of people feel like they have a book in them. They feel like they have a book in their head or a book on their heart or um, and just don't know how that that process works or what's viable, that kind of stuff. So when when you're looking, because you've seen it in all the ways, you've seen it as an editor with agents bringing you proposals, and now you're the agent who takes people proposals. Um, what, I mean, is there a secret sauce? What is it that you're, that you're looking for? And how do you know if something's going to be readable or publishable when, when, you, when you're looking at just a proposal? That is the million dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, the, you know, you all know the competition to be published is huge. It's, there are a lot of people who would give their right arm to be published. And there are a lot of books out there. 
So to try to, it's almost like back when you first got out of college and they told you your resume has to be sparkling because mm -hmm. you're competing with all these other people. It, it really is the same. So it, when a proposal comes across my desk, I'm first and foremost, look at the writing. The writing's just gotta be stellar. It's gotta mm -hmm. sing um, because go back to what you said, Melanie, when you wrote that third book, it was so easy for you because it was the book you were supposed to write. Yeah. Um, if a if a book feels forced or the writing is not good, I've I've heard this said, and I can't remember who to credit to. So if somebody hears this, forgive me. Mm -hmm. But you know, good writing will um, sell a book any day, but bad writing will overcome a good marketing plan of any mm. so wow. you know you can market and sell a book with everything that you have in you but if the writing's not good you know open up goodreads or amazon yeah. reviews and you're gonna see um so first and foremost i look for the writing it's just mm. got to be really good um and you know you hear this all the time and people roll their eyes at it all the time when when you hear the word platform yeah. um, and an author's platform, we hate that authors need to have a platform these days, but really all that means is that they are putting content out there that people are engaging with, mm -hmm. that people want uh -huh. to, they want to hear, whether it's, you know, through a podcast or through speaking or online or, you know, however they're engaging with people already, that's their platform. And it's, it really does show that people would be interested in buying this book. Yeah. And so, you know, that's why you really do need a platform. You need to already be engaging with people somewhere. And even then, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even then it's, yeah. Yeah, it's no guarantee. No guarantee because right. people don't buy books as much as you think they buy books. Right. And so a super successful book is a little bit like lightning striking. I mean, it, it really is in, in terms yeah. of um, sometimes it's somebody who might not have as big a platform, but the book resonates for whatever reason. And yep. sometimes you can have a huge platform, but the book just doesn't land. So there are all yeah. manner of ways to be um, humbled yeah. in publishing really. <laughs> Some, sometimes you have a book that comes out in a pandemic hit. I've, just, I've heard <laughs> yes. that happens to people. And that that does. that's happened to a few people I know, <laughs> actually. Just <sighs> hypothetically speaking, a pandemic happens and shuts down the world. That's turns out that's the biggest bummer of all. <laughs> not great for your book, but thanks God. But yeah. you have some souvenirs. I have a lot yeah. of books in my garage. So. Yeah. yeah. And then one day you go on Amazon and you go, huh, that book's free on Kindle. For anybody that has Amazon Prime, I'm so glad that I spent a year and a half of my life crying and writing that book. That was that was worth it. That was totally oh, worth it. Oh man, those are all the things. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. So, yeah. what advice? Because I think that's what a lot of people like. Because I think Sophie and I both, you know, we hear from people all the time that they want to be published. And sometimes I think my advice now is like, be careful what you wish for. But mm -hmm. if, what advice would you give to a writer who hopes to be published? Like, what are some things mm -hmm. that they can do if that's their ultimate goal? I think the I think the first question is to ask themselves, 
why? Why do yes. I want to be published? <laughs> yes. And I don't mean that in a discouraging way. Right, right. You know, yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. It's, mm -hmm. it is, you both know, having been through it, it is not all rainbows and unicorns. Mm -hmm. It's hard work. It's not a guarantee. There's no formula for success. Uh -huh. There's a lot of stress that comes with putting your work out into the world um, and partnering with a publisher who then you have to trust to uh -huh. put your work out into the world. There's just a lot of stress that goes into it. So ask yourself, why and if the reasons feel valid <laughs> right. you know if you're like i just can't not i have to write this book uh -huh. you know then my advice would be start writing yeah you need to start writing you need to be writing you need to be thinking through if it's that i i want to share this message far and wide uh -huh. i want to help other people mm -hmm. i want to be able to sleep at night because I, I have to write this book. I was born to write this book. Okay. Those are absolutely valid reasons. Then do the work. You know, yeah. you have to be writing, learn as much as you can about publishing and um, maybe align yourself with a writer's group or um, other writers who can, who mm -hmm. have a little bit ahead of you, who can give you some advice um, and, you know, we go back to that, what I said before, building that infrastructure for sell, eventually selling the book, Yeah, being mm -hmm. able to have a place where you can talk about the book and share it with people. Because these days, a publisher won't buy a book simply because the writing's great, mm. yeah. you know. I think too, I think about this all the time and I tell people this a lot when they talk to me about how they want to write a book or whatever. The The big thing that comes from, from writing a book really has very little to do with the book itself getting published. I think there is there with every book for me, and I think this is true for Melanie too, with every book, there's something really unexpected and special that the Lord teaches me through mm. that process. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's something really personal that happens that you might end up telling people about at some point, or you might not, but every book mm. has a really special, um, pretty vulnerable, I would say mm -hmm. component to it that just happens between you and the Lord. Like it's not, yeah. that's been, that's been my experience. And so, um, I think that's why it's so good to know, like, if you can't shake it, if you can't, Mm -hmm. If it feels like Melanie felt before she wrote sparkly green earrings, like it was the thing she kept forgetting to do. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I just think that's a good indicator that there's, there's something there. And even if it's just something that's between you and God, that's, that's enough reason to get it on paper. That's enough mm -hmm. reason to take the yeah. time to get it out. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true. It's funny because I was even driving today and Lisa don't hold me to this, but I was just like, <laughs> you know, I do, I, I am feeling that thing of like, it's, it's time to start getting ready to do another book. Like I can feel it, you know? And it was like weighing on me, but I thought it's so changed for me because I was like, God, I need you to give me the vision for this book. And then I trust that you're going to do with it, what you're going to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was like, it's changed so much. And I think that like having a book come out in a pandemic has taught me and having sure. publishers, publishers taught me and all that stuff that like, I can't control 
what it's going to do once I do it. I just have to be faithful to do it. And I think that's to me, the biggest thing is like, is a writer to go, okay, God's calling me to put these words on the paper. And then I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, that may be a hundred people read it. It may be that mm-hmm. hundred thousand people read it, but I can't, that part is not in my control. It's just being faithful to do it. And so I think there's this element of surrender that's hard, especially once you've done it. Cause you're like, well, that's a lot of work. If only a hundred <laughs> people are going to read it. Uh-huh. Yeah. But can we have had a zoom call with a hundred right. people? Like I could have just had an outline, yeah. maybe just glossed over some points. Yeah. Uh, no, but I love that. I love that way of thinking about it, that the writing is as much for yourself mm-hmm. as it is for what you're putting out there. So yeah. if that's the case, then it was, you know, it was worth, doing yeah there's got to be a reason for it there Mm -hmm. has to be a reason for it apart from sales or apart from some right short-term notoriety or attention Uh you know like because that just listen that's not gonna hold no but it turns out that as soon as you write a book and it's published that Kathy Lee doesn't call to invite you on the today (laughs) show like that (laughs) that. (laughs) Hoda is uninterested that's what I'm gonna say yeah, sometimes on TV shows, it feels like I wrote a book and now I'm on all these mornings. You're like, turns out not so much really like that. No, but I will be on Instagram live at 915. <laughs> because so many of you have been asking about my book. Okay, so Lisa, as you look back on your career, this is our fourth question. As you look back at kind of the, the scope of all you've done over the course of your career, what are some significant ways and there probably are too many to chronicle because things have changed so much just since we've known you the last mm-hmm. 10 or so years. But what are some significant ways that publishing, the industry of publishing has changed since you started working in the publishing industry? So much. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it has changed so much. I came into publishing um, what during what was considered kind of the the heyday you know when you would 30,000 books would be shipped into bookstores and mm-hmm. stacked up in the in the entryway and I mean oh. it was huge back then and when right about the time that you all started publishing maybe there's a correlation maybe here so. <laughs> <laughs> was right about the time when um, this is just going to date me and age me. Um, when Amazon and online shopping became across the board very common, mm-hmm. and it it shifted publishing so significantly mm. um, that everything changed about the business model. Because most people, and we probably all three do this, if we want to buy a book, where do we go first? You know, Amazon.com. The business model shifted so much because we, our customers were no longer bookstores. As publishers, for so long, we, our customers were bookstores and we trusted the booksellers to do the selling of the book. Um, and so when I first started at back at Tyndale House, we wooed um, bookstore owners. We would mm-hmm. send packages to them. We okay. would um, send authors to meet them. We would send videos to them. I mean, it was, that was our customer. Mm-hmm. Wow. They would sell the book. 
and you know now as authors today that's not we're not doing that anymore yeah you know our customer is the end consumer and there are millions of end yeah. consumers as opposed to back in the day when there were thousands of bookstore owners that you could sell to so it's it's changed so much and the competition is so great because there is a lot of noise and mm -hmm. not just books. You know, you, you open up your Instagram or your Facebook, there's a lot of things vying for your attention to spend your money on. Yeah. But on the flip side, I would say that we're seeing, I'm seeing, it feels like the generation coming up, the younger adults right out of college, they really are valuing books in a way that maybe previous generations haven't. Okay. So okay. they want to buy hardcover books. They want to build a library. Um, they want to learn. They're a, they're a generation that really wants to learn. And so I love that. I love seeing that. And I think that really bodes well for authors who are creating books, you yes. know, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. good. So that being said, so here's question number five, who are some of your, and this is not a trick question. You don't have to say <laughs> Sophie and me, cause this is our okay. podcast. Uh, let's say this. You can't, you can't. no, okay. it's not an option so, because I'm talking like, I'm, I'm looking more like Hemingway, you know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> like who are some of your favorite writers and what books have left an imprint on you? Oh, okay. And I know that's, I know you've read a million, so that's a, but just a couple that come to mind. Well, you guys will laugh. Um, mm -hmm. One of the, you will laugh. I sh I'm embarrassed to even say this. Uh -uh, one, of the, one of the things that I go back to whenever I am feeling um, like I just need grounding and I need to not stress you talk about the 24-hour news cycle when yes. I want to not like erase that out of my head mm -hmm. and I literally just did this during the pandemic mm -hmm. I go back and read the Little House in the Prairie series oh, oh I love that <laughs> Lisa that. we didn't know that about you no, yes I yes. love that I do I um it's it's a little considering this day and age and where we are there's yes. there's some political incorrectness in it just warning yes um that I didn't catch when I was in third grade but um yeah that that really kind of brings me back but because I work mostly in nonfiction, mm -hmm. I find myself um I gravitate sort of to this I like reading fiction and I gravitate to books that make me feel like I've learned something through a, a fictional account. So okay. like okay. Um, a good example would be, I read this book a long time ago it, um, called Loving Frank. Uh -huh. And it, it was a book about Frank Lloyd Wright's wife. And it was a fictional account of um, like a real life setting. Oh, okay. This feels like something Melanie would read 100%. I was, mm -hmm. I was just about to say, Sophie, Lisa's like me. She likes historical fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Y'all aren't bothered by people <laughs> in their unair conditioned surroundings. <laughs> Y'all are fine with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, so I like to feel like I learned something without actually some, you know, reading a nonfiction book where somebody has taught me something. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, like the, the, the 
writers like um, I like Barbara Brown Taylor. Oh, me uh-huh. too. Oh I my mean, gosh. Wendell Berry, you know, kind oh. of that beautiful mm-hmm. writing. You that, like that thoughtful writing that yeah, just that layered, like it's there's something on the surface and there's all kinds of stuff underneath there. Yeah. And I have to, you know, I was an English major in college who never quite was smart enough to, to be an English major. You know, everybody would be like, oh, there were these deep themes and I could never see them. Uh-huh. So I like to read stuff where I have to read it a few times and think, okay, am I missing something here? Do I need to dig deeper? Um, so yeah, those are the books that I like the most. Um, okay, Melanie, you actually said that for Lisa, we have to have a bonus question. Do you remember? Yes. Oh yeah. We do have to have a bonus question. So uh-huh. this is it. And there again, um, I think I may know your answer, but I don't know for sure. So the bonus question <laughs> is who's more neurotic about the writing process, me or Sophie? <laughs> we we want to know, Lisa. Uh, I want to know. <laughs> I refuse to answer that Stop question it. on grounds that may incriminate me. <laughs> you have to answer it. You have to answer it. I know I overthink a lot. Uh, so I'll own that part of it. I don't know. I, really, I felt like we're both neurotic in our own individual in your own ways. ways. Thank you, you both bring so much <laughs> neuroses to the process <laughs> in very different ways. Uh, I can I can tell you. I mean, we've worked together long enough that I know the, I know the cycle of the texts I'm going to get when I'm going to get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you both know the answer that I'm going to give you when you text me. Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> it's true. But yet we text you anyway, but yet that's right. we still text. So that's right. um, yeah, because I feel like there was a day I laughed as I wrote that question because I sent Lisa like a tentative outline that I mean, I'm saying was bare bones, like bare bones, like back in January. And I was like, this is just something I'm thinking of. And then she kind of emailed me back some thoughts and was like, here's what I think. And I was like, that's great. That's great feedback. I have not looked at it again since. (laughs) (laughs) I think I might've poked at you once. Yeah. yeah, I think one time you were like, Hey, just as you were kind of, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get on that as soon as like I'm alone in my house again someday. And I don't know when that's going to be. Lisa, thanks a bunch. Oh, no problem. This was great. Well, we know you're busy, so we appreciate you taking time to come on here and talk to us because I know lots of people have questions. Because like I said, before we got started, it sounds a lot more glamorous to have an agent than actually having an agent. And <laughs> um, and it probably sounds more glamorous to be an agent than right. actually being an agent. Yep. Right. And to actually be an agent. <laughs> we sure are grateful for your wisdom and your perspective. That was great. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody. This special episode of the Big Boo Cast has been brought to you by Acorn TV, otherwise known as my new favorite streaming service, because I love to escape to Britain and beyond while I watch brilliant TV from across the pond. Acorn TV is a streaming service rooted in British television with a rich catalog of exclusive award-winning series across genres including mysteries, dramas, comedies, and so much more. There is something for everyone. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use our promo code BIGBOO. That's A-C-O-R-N TV code BIGBOO to get your first 30 days for free. Thanks so much to Acorn TV for sponsoring the Big Boo cast. You can probably see now why Melanie and I both need Elisa Jackson in our lives. She is calm. She is measured. I don't know if 
we would necessarily say those two things about us, but she is really the best. And if you would like to know more about the work that Lisa is doing as a literary agent, you can look at her agency's website. It's aliveliterary.com. And of course, you can follow her on Instagram at Lisa Jackson at Alive. Alrighty, thanks so much again, y'all, for listening to this five question series. We'll be wrapping it up next week with a friend from way back in our blogging days who also happens to be one of our favorite writers, Annie Downs. It's going to be so fun, and we cannot wait for y'all to join us. Y'all have a good week. <laughs>